What is up, asymmetry? Holy jeez, buckle up. Uh, Steen Christensen, one of the modern-day tr- tr- true brilliant minds working in ecology as a scientist, as an ecologist, as a dendrologist, as a climate change researcher, as a hydrologist, as a propagator, as a nurseryman. Uh, it, this guy's unbelievable. He really is completely and totally compelled by a calling to do his part to continue perpetuating the capacity for trees to help contribute to curbing climate change and saving the world. And it's awesome. Steen is awesome. He operates a nursery called the John Steen Company. He was a founder of the Marmot Society, and he's currently working very hard to collect seeds and preserve the genetics of the ancient trees in the North American forests. Sit back, relax. Ira and I uh, briefly talk, but for the most part, Steen's just going to walk you through uh, one of the truly cutting-edge macro-landscaping uh, projects that's ever existed in uh, reforestation of the Western United States. Enjoy. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing great, Steen. How are you? Too bad. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? Where are you? What are you? What are you up to right well, now? I just got home. Um, I just been coming back from a trail of a hundred giants and a shoot for. Um, I think it was a. Uh, well, it was Nat Geo that we were just on for Earth Day this morning. Um, I think on ABC, I don't know if you caught there. Um, uh, I was just watching it. We just got uh, for them a a Earth Day message. Um, So, yeah, they were just kind of using us to rig some trees. And then uh, Marmot Society, who are the scientists, uh, Anthony Ambrose, Wendy Baxter, and myself, uh, we were there kind of talking to um, National Geographic's Craig Welsh, who just did a big piece on world forests and forest health and kind of where we're at with things with the climate. Wow. So uh, just doing some climate change stuff. We were in a pretty uh, old tree that had burned um, that had uh, it, it was a pretty uh, the photo that they took of it when it was on fire was pretty spectacular because it was raining down all these sparks and everything. And so we got some ropes in that tree and we took a reporter into that tree. Um, and then we're just telling a little bit of the story. Wow. Um, that area down there is by the windy fire. It's kind of near Porterville. Mm-hmm. I'd kind of call it the red line where uh, we're definitely seeing the effects of climate change. We're seeing the effects of desertification uh, and we're seeing that forest ecosystem collapse essentially. Uh-huh. Uh, the cone crops are having trouble um, finishing off water and things like that. So so the Marmot Society, which does the monitoring, kind of the health uh, monitoring, monitoring the big trees, the giant sequoias through climate change is um, who I work for and with. Um, and then, of course, I work as a private forester right now. I'm working to help rehabilitate Board Camp, uh, which is the giant sequoia grove that burned um, two years ago. Um, and so we're being, we're involved in the, in the giant sequoia grove rehabilitation projects that, uh, National Park Service is running, um, primarily working for Christy Brigham, who's a head scientist there. Now, now, now how do you rehabilitate a a burned giant sequoia forest? What does that, what does that even look like? We don't know. Um, Mm. it's, it's the first time that we've really tried. Um, and one of the things that, uh, is concerning at least with board camp, which is a remote grove um, in the southern end of Sequoia National Park. Um, since the since the cone crops and the seeds weren't collected in the first place, we one of the things to know is first off is that our national parks do not have libraries of their genetics. Uh, it's one of the things that I've been trying to really get them to work on for the last 30 years. A lot of it's just resource based, but getting the land managers to actually build seed banks um, for even our most, you know, amazing uh, natural resources they haven't been done. Wow. Just for the good of, uh, of, uh, of the human, uh, the, for us, I think, you know, I've always tried to get them to do their seed collections and they're just now starting. So um, it, 
it may be a little late, but I don't think it's too late. Um, the parks, the Sequoia National Park has had a series of fires. I'm sure a lot of you guys saw the photos of the uh, General Sherman tree wrapped with uh, my with uh, uh, you know a blanket, right? And yeah, like that. Um, you know, there there's a lot of energy and effort going now into trying to rebuild that forest. Uh, there in Sequoia National Park. How bad was it? How bad was the damage? Did, and did any of the trees in that primary grove that's oh, so it, it, iconic get really damaged? Um, a lot of the iconic trees are, you know, that we know um, that are that are close uh, trail wise um, have been saved. And of course, there was an effort thanks to the firefighters. Uh, you really see a lot of really um, amazing uh, work done by our firefighters mm -hmm. for one so uh they're responsible and the parks are responsible for really taking care of that um and but but backcountry um like redwood mountain or board camp uh, they're completely devastated they're, they've been burnt when you go in there and it's not easy to get to these places i'll be in there next week um doing a survey with NPS for seedling mortality and to see if there's any natural regen, because of course giant sequoias fire types, right? So yeah. we would expect with the serotonous cones, we would expect to see um, a lot of natural regen, but these fires are too hot. Mm -hmm. And so they're just destroying all the genetic material within the field of the fire. And then only the edges will retain any sort of genetics. And the edges have been heated up too much uh, and the cones are, the, the, the seeds just isn't viable. Uh, spent, um, a good, took a team in last year, got a collection out of board camp and board camp is a very remote grove. Um, but when you go back and you see these giant ancient trees burned all the way to the ground, that's not supposed to happen. Right. Right. That's a result of having a lot of bad forest health all around the park where you have a lot of even age stands and a lot of mechanical thinning and a lot of uh, fuel reduction work that did not get done. Yeah. Something that we've been really trying to get our public agencies like U.S. Forest Service and NPS to do their fuel reduction work. Right. This isn't tree planting. This is just, you know, fix what the loggers did kind of type of thing. Right. Know? Right. Um, and because there hasn't been a, the monies for mechanical manipulation, that work hasn't been done. So two part problem, you know, in the forest right now, as these fires, wildfires are on, on, you know, becoming more and more prevalent and the fire cycles becoming shorter, we're seeing more devastating fires. And so the, for the first time, the NPS is starting to think, how do we get, uh, something done in there you know now um, let, let me ask you so it's the board b-o-a-r-d board grove or borg g it's board like well you just think of loggers and logging you you, you always sure. have a mill you always <laughs> have a mill creek uh -huh. you always have a board camp you have a mill creek uh -huh. you know i mean that just shows you who was there before you so are um, the are the genetics in the board grove um being that far south over the course of time Ad, I, I, I like adaptation that's, is, are, that's, is that's, are they going to be different than your, than your, you know, general Sherman? That's what we're thinking about. We, we, there's always been somewhat of an idea that the genetics for giant sequoia, because they went through a bottleneck. Mm -hmm. um, we've always somewhat thought that the genetics are somewhat flat. Uh -huh. um, we don't see a lot of variability. So there's a little bit of a conversation going on right now as to whether if we could bring in seed from another growth. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty hot topic, of course. Um, what does that know. look like? What does that look like for that to be a hot topic? Who, who can test those kinds of things? Well, you know, even with the reforestation of board camp itself, there was a group that, uh, that, that spoke up uh, about it being a wilderness and that we shouldn't be in there. Right. Um, and so natural regen, which is kind of not necessarily, uh, there, there's times when natural regen works fine. Um, but when you get a burn that's in, very intense and you lose the inside, right? You lose the field. 
uh, it takes years for the edges to close up. Yeah. You can imagine a one acre, two acre fire, no big deal. You're going to have a prairie and then you're going to have a forest succession model that's very natural and you're going to get back to a normal forest. And, and as foresters, we're not too concerned about those small burns. But when you get into these really intense, um, very, you know, 100,000, you know, when you get up into the, you know, 100,000 acre, right, you've got an amazing field, right, that in, inside with no genetic material because these fires are burning so hot. Totally. And this is happening in the groves too. Uh-huh. So you really have a, if you didn't do those seed collections before the fires, you have to try to get to the edges of these areas in order to get endemic seed, right? Yeah. We've lost our opportunity to do that on a lot of our lands. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's not, well, we just, we didn't value, when the, when the loggers left in the 90s, we didn't value seed collecting, and uh, we haven't valued tree planting here in North America. Yeah. We tend to follow that model that, you know, you can plant a tree for a buck. And you can't do that here. Mm-hmm. Probably costs on on the lands that I'm talking about. I I think our costs for the general public are probably four bucks a seedling. Wow. Now that 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 includes monitoring, finding it, um, finding it, collecting it, growing it, and planting it. So all the nonprofits that are going around going, oh, I can plant a tree for a buck. It's a big disser- disservice to us here in North America because the model doesn't fit. Uh-huh. It fits in Africa, it fits in South America, but um, we don't have that kind of labor. And also we are dealing with very remote, steep sites. These are athletic events almost. uh, And we don't have the army, we don't have the green army that we need. uh, And that's what we're, that's what I'm trying to build right now for NPS as we, as we start to pull into these jobs. Um, is our we're, we're finding that our workforce uh, collectors are not there, you now, know, and the monitors, the scientists too. Now, now, are you a forester by trade? Like, how did you get started? Because you you listed, you know, you've got to collect it, germinate it, cultivate it, plant it, and I f- it feels like you're involved in every single. I don't know if you're planting, but it feels like you're involved I'm at least in collecting, germinating, want- growing. Right? I mean, that's what you do. How did how did how did all this well, happen? If you- a few years ago, I tried to change the model because the model was very broken, um, where you just had, there's not much transparency. You've got the collectors, you've got the monitors, then you've got the grower, and then you've got the planter. Mm-hmm. Well, I decided to look at the jobs comprehensively and start going after these public entities saying, hey, I'm a private forester. I can see through all of your problems. I can actually help because I can... I can process the seed, I can collect the seed, I can grow the tree, and it's all in-house, right? So right. I can move it quickly. Um, and so I tried to build, and I'm, and I'm still not successful doing this because I'm trying to build a new model that takes into account the actual costs that we're mm-hmm. looking at. Right. It's not the old 18 cent. I, I started growing trees for 18 cents a piece, mm-hmm. you know, and selling forestry plugs that way. This is a whole new a whole new ball game trying to build a new model for the for the for working on federal lands um that will allow us to get ahead of the problem get the collections done if we can some some land like i say now where it's been burned like take a look at the size of that windy fire down um out uh, east of porterville yeah um, and you'll go oh my god um i mean even if you were to pop up real quick on uh you know, a fire map and try to figure out how much, uh, how, what the acreage is on the windy fire. And, and so the windy fire will show you exactly where that climate change is really starting to become obvious where the forest mortality and everything is getting to be, uh, you know, kind of, I, I'd say in that, uh, in that, what I call the red zone, uh, of climate change, mm-hmm. you know, but right. my, my degree is in physical science. So I, I just have a science background, you know, and I have a, I have a passion for physical science or earth science. And that's why I, I joined up and helped found the Marmot Society was to get back uh, to doing good science. If you're, if you're working in the trees and you're watching the trees, um, you know, we're really more taking a, nat- uh, a naturalist type of approach where we're just watching right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Um, we, we may have not been paying enough attention to the, to the 
crop cycle of the giant sequoia in the first place, the literature, how long the seeds held, um, things like that. So we have a brand new cone crop that seems to be uh, species wide, you know, or 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 range wide with giant sequoia. Mm. And so we're watching that crop try to finish off. That's pretty important for us. When does so it when does it finish? I mean, when does it start and when does it finish? It's a two-year two cone. We watched the pollen last year, uh-huh. and now we're watching the new cones. We've had a really uh, odd phenomenon happen um, somewhere last July where we had a heat release um, that's climate-related of that uh, of the older genetic material that was in the trees because the giant sequoias usually hold that genetic material for all oh, um, the literature stated up to 15 years, right? So we don't have the, we don't have the cone crops anymore. They all released almost like if they were, uh, a, not a serotonous cone. Wow. If you follow me, it was an, a, an abnormal heat related event. Totally. And they just, they just it shed, was, they just shed. They did. They like didn't have they the resources were, to keep up. They shed it. Yeah. Well, we don't know. It's a, it's a budgeting thing or something. We're uh-huh. not sure. That's a good science. So, so within the within my world of uh, of having of, of of practicality, right? Of of collecting, uh, monitoring, and replanting. Uh, there's a lot of science. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of uh, just natural natural science and observational science uh, that goes on as we try to figure out what the giant sequoias are doing. Um, at this time, a very rapid change in their ecosystem. And why, uh, why, why, why did you choose to focus on the giant sequoia? Because there's so many tree species across North America that are suffering, and their their you know stands well, native stands are shrinking. They're not reproducing. I'll grow you a good sugar pine. <laughs> I love oak trees. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sequoia centric, and I'm being forced to be so. Um, not 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 forced uh you know right i mean i i i always uh i jagged on that tree really early mm-hmm. and uh i love to grow giant sequoias um i am a bit of a disciple of assisted migration and colonization of redwoods for carbon lockdown mm-hmm. so it's an adaptable uh, the pl- the the ability of the coast redwood it's plasticity right or yeah. its ability to adapt um, to different environments may make it a real tool for global carbon sequestration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially it, it, it also, if we lose due to forest health, some of our other species to bugs or whatever, giant sequoia seems to have a little bit of a resistance to that fire. We thought, you know, we're changing some of our opinions on that, but, um, but no, so we can move these trees North is the idea. And then globally, I think you could do a lot with coast redwood. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, they are, you, you call it, you call it their plasticity, but I mean, uh, I read something, we were, we were down in Prairie Creek recently and I read something about how they can, they can morph their DNA or they can shift their DNA in a single living. Well, they're, well, they're, say the redwoods found out by studying the heck out of them that their genetics are hexploides. Uh, so hexaploides genetics, there's six individuals in that tree. Um, so the idea is, and no one has suggested this too much or tested this too much, mm. but every time they do some basal sprouting, right, they have the opportunity to put up a different individual. That is Now, that individual might be better suited to the modern climate. How often have they done that? Maybe they've done that for 20,000 years. We don't know. We've had a very stable climate uh, for redwood, right? That's one thing that you need in order to kind of have that kind of a, you know, that there, there's some really good in, in information and, and some good science that'll be coming out on that. Cool. And, and, cool. and that's a, that's a weird one. Yeah. So you can think of where's giant sequoia is not like that. We're not like that. We have just one set, right? We're just who we are, Yeah. but they're actually six different They They have a little trick. They that's do. A, you don't know how that works. Yeah. It's really a mystery. And so, yeah, we think that maybe that, uh, that ever living, you know, that's, that's the name, uh, that, that individual may have been around a long time and may have selected, uh, different, uh, a different DNA for different environments. We just don't know. That's a, that's something that's just now being studied and we just, it's a good, that's a good one. Cutting edge, cutting edge stuff. Now, let me, let me, I've always wondered this and because we're digging into, into this deep of subject matter, I w- if you have an answer to this, I would be like so tickled, Pinkstein. But um, 
why like when you test when they when they measure the age the oldest age of like the coastal redwood the giant sequoia i mean a lot of that is guesstimation but they do have like trees that have been cut down they have core samples they have ring samples right so it's like they know and like the bristle cones the oldest whatever the oldest one is now 5200 they they recently right within the past 20 years found that uh Mm -hmm. why why do trees why do redwoods why do giant sequoias why do bristle cones stop at that maximum age because like you said if they hexaploides and they can they have six individuals and maybe that's been happening for 20,000 years why do we only document to to a degree their age well red redwoods well i think that becomes down to the whole concept of what an individual is um and that's interesting because when we do talk about life on the planet right and long and longevity um we have uh you know a peat bog in canada or or an asp pando the aspen grove right. that you've heard of exactly or that, or that norway spruce that's up on the top of some mountain somewhere that's you know six thousand years you know there's all these different that you guys probably want to go collect no um, we want to collect it but we're going to go see it we're definitely going. Uh, yeah i'm headed to sweden uh this summer we're going to go see old tico oh cool yeah nice yeah okay well that kind of thing right so the one thing that i would say is with that individual the two that may have that you know edge are the ones that can vegetatively reproduce right yeah i mean that individual is so the so the coast redwood if you cut it if you cut one down or it falls down and it sprouts the a new individual right it's not a new individual it's the same so you get continue you get um continuity right uh, genetic continuity um through time that way i don't know i think that's a that the you know you're limited by how much water capacity and 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 insects and some things you know the only thing that keeps a dug fur from living to be as old as a coast redwood is bugs is it you know, really structurally, structurally everything's there it's it, you know for it, it it's not having a problem moving water at, to the to the height of 300 feet or more right uh they gas out after a while but um yeah i think that there's just something really interesting there with the trees that are that are clonal that, and that's the difference fascinating so the, so the seed so the seed grown individual right is always the one that just lives that lifetime yeah yeah like us that's really interesting wow and i i wonder if with each new you know if if, if a redwood can be six individuals which eth- with each new you know next generation of basal growth where it might express one of those six individuals i wonder if it also continues to just slowly incrementally add you know, almost a new personality or something like that. Like, you know, but you but, better check in with Save the Redwoods League on that. They're the ones doing all that re, uh, research. And that, I think uh, so cool. Yeah, I, I think there's more to come on that. And just how far they'll be able to go as far as finding genetic markers for drought or for, you know, fast growth. Yeah. Um, you know, Green Diamond or Simpson's done a lot of work with that. You know, they grow a tree called a number one uh, that they just, do uh clone they clone uh, and they do it micro propagation you know they uh actually have a clone lab here in corbell and they grow a one specific tree and that's what they plant out wow well, now because it, it has the you know the lip the branches all go straight out so there's no knots you know that's fast growing it's a it's a timber it's basically a for wood i mean it becomes like, a monoculture at that which is like ca- kind of counterproductive but but when you like when the I heard a fact that where I grew up in Colorado on the Continental Divide, 95% of the lodgepole pine were eradicated by the recent, uh, you know, Ips beetle or pine beetle kind of yeah. die off, which I know is a cyclical event. But um, people right. were saying, you know, like, let, I, I had heard there was a desire to uh, reproduce and, you know, collect seed from the 5% remaining population and, right. and to start to regenerate. But it's like, but the next big issue that impacts the forest, you know, that 5% population becoming a monocultural crop, doesn't that make the next generation, if you do start to propagate and plant, it does. susceptible, right? It does. Yeah, you're, you're bottlenecking your genetics and, mm-hmm. your, and your variability is disappearing. And every time that happens, you're going to get sick, right? And when, and when you do, then you don't have any variability in your genetics. So um, 
No, it's a, that's a problem. We, we have that problem in most of our trees now. That's why we're looking for white pine, blister rust resistant, sugar pine. Uh-huh. Um, we're looking for things that are still standing that may be resistant. There's always that idea as a collector that if it's still standing and healthy, it was resistant. Yeah, yeah, sure. We know that. We have to test that. Um, most of the beetle, um, a lot of the beetle cycles um, have kind of top, topped out, right? You know, they, they're, well, they ate everything. Yeah, right. Right. Well, there's so, there's discussion so that they're going to move, though, right? There's discussion no, they're going to move, just, or just disappear. Okay. They just go. It uh-huh. just it's a you know it it just falls like in California where we had that where we have a huge ponderosa pine die off and it goes all the way into Arizona and New Mexico, right? We ponderosa pine was another one susceptible. Sure. Um, to the bark beetle, bark, a couple bark beetles, and one of the things that we noticed um, right away uh, was that particular mortality was almost 98% in a lot of areas. And so looking now at that forest, which, you know, this is a 10 year old problem. um, That forest is starting to bounce back now in California. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see some nice new five to 10 year old Ponderosa pines coming back. I'm working on a BLM project called Case Mountain. Um, And, uh, I would say that the Ponderosa pines look very good there. That's um, outstanding the is, to hear. We, we, we are losing our sugar pine mm. um, a little bit. That's what I'm working on, uh, sugar pine on the ridges. I'm working on ridge hydrology. Uh, I believe that if you replant the ridges with what's supposed to be there, uh, you can actually maybe get, you know, mountains kind of have their own weather. But without the trees on the ridges, you're not going to get that water to come down into the soil. Uh, kind of like a blade of grass at the beach. Um, so I spent a lot of my time right now trying to get our land managers to work on their ridges with sugar pine. And so, no, I'm not completely uh, Sequoia-centric. I'm heavy-duty black oak guy right now. I would throw black oak everywhere. Um, that entire windy fire complex should be aer- should probably be seeded with black oak right away. That's not being done. Of course, that would also take, you know, probably... 200 tons of black oak seed which isn't collected either right right herein lies the problem but that's but that's something you could do with uh you could try to get you know you could air use uh helicopters or drones Mm -hmm. uh to broadcast oak seed um it's never worked very well to aerially seed uh conifers that's always been kind of a disaster um but we think that maybe you know oaks might be and we're and we're thinking at least my thoughts are go back one ecosystem right now mm-hmm. to hold ground, get the oaks. So that big wiped out belt of ponderosa pine that's in California down south and south South Sierra should just be heavily seeded with black oak and then uh, planted back in with uh, ponderosa pine. Um, probably you know that that's what I'm working on. That's the windy fire. Wow, the windy fire is one that you you would want to approach it that way. But you gotta. The logistics are crazy. You need an army now. You're yeah. logistically out of you're logistically out of bounds. You you've got too many small private guys like me, and you don't have big green, and you don't have this army that we're trying to build. Yeah, um, might get a chance to do that right now. Um, we'll see. Uh, that it's there's a there's a there's a little bit of energy from private the private sector right now. Um, big green's got some money. The land managers are kind of trying to really do something right now. Mainly the scientists are driving a lot of the land managers to do something. That's fantastic. I, I appreciate your optimism in the whole thing. I mean, like to to say that ponderosa pines are having a little bit of resurgent post bark beetle is like music to my ears because you do want, you yeah. know, like the, the general, and I understand like we're seeing the recession of the giant sequoia grove, especially in, in, in the board grove where you have a lot of climate change pressure and you've got these fires and stuff but still to know that these trees can grow and regenerate at least you know whatever sort of genetic uh, adaptations are taking place at, at the time like that's really uh, that's really positive and optimistic but I I wanted to go back to the ridge hydrology thing because you talked with me at length when I met you the first time not at length but you you shared kind of a lot of this notion of almost re-landscaping the ridges of the mountains those pines or you know where you're, you're talking sugar pines but those plants now capturing the moisture that's that's more or less passing over and starting yeah. to trickle down effect from the very yeah. top in terms of so- yeah. holding soil holding moisture yeah, you did it. yeah. 
Where, where did that come from? Did that, did, where did that come from for you? How did that theory start? And how are the organizations that you're I promoting this with? Earth. Yeah, but um, how are they taking on that information you're giving them? Are they, do they believe it? Do they buy into it? I'm, I was talking like this 30 years ago. I had some very good professors from Humboldt State, John Stewart, and um, I would also have to say Dale Thornburg. Uh, both really influenced me um, early on. So my professors are ecologists. Um, they they taught me the greater, they taught me all of their relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to study geology, hydrology. I had to study dendrology, but I have to really understand water. Um, that's one of the things that Dr. Ambrose, Anthony Ambrose helped me understand too, um, was this the relationship with water. Uh, you know, that, that's just also, I think, you know, I, I'm a, I mean, I, I'm a lifelong beach person too. Right. So I've spent a lot of time on the ocean and, uh, I think one day I was, uh, walking my dog down at the, at the dunes. And, uh, it was just one of those days where, you know, there was just a fog coming through and I was watching the grasses, uh, pull the water down and drop it down into the soil, right. Mm-hmm. On the beach. And I'm very aware that that also happens on the top of a, a ridge, right? Sure. I mean, it's not that hard to put that together. Um, at that point, I just had to get some land managers that were interested in seeing if we could pull that a- approach off. Um, sure, uh, Case Mountain is interesting because it's a it, it, it's a genetic bottle. That, uh, like a lot of BLM properties, and this is a BLM property that's just a little bit south of Sequoia National Park. It has a beautiful giant sequoia grove in there. Um, I have a tree rigged for you to go up. There. <laughs> yes. It's yes. Called, called, called Hydra. Oh, I've been waiting. You know, I didn't want to ask, yeah. but I am no, so, no, I'm okay. so into it. Never said that. BLM didn't hear that. Yeah, sure. The BLM has a property that is interesting because they're turning it into a recreational property. And they also have been doing Bakersfield. Uh, BLM has a lot of money because of gas and uh, and all of that. And they have this unique grove and they had enough money to do their fuel reduction work, which mm. is really neat. They actually got in there and pulled out a bunch of the ladder fuels and worked on their grove um, before this fire came. And this area, this this Case Mountain's very close to board camp too. So um, when I was there um, looking around and I noticed that the sugar pine themselves were just about to get completely, fall, the genetic, signal is about to collapse. There's only maybe, there's, there's so few sugar pine left that the bears were actually beating my my collectors to the trees, smashing the trees and grabbing the cones for food. Wow. So um, yeah, we, we really had a hard time getting to this collection. But one of the things at Case Mountain that I started to put together was that ridge hydrology thing, where it was obvious because the, the loggers on a lot of the ridges the the loggers um god bless them took uh high graded most of the uh material right so the big old sugar pine the big old ponderosa pines long before we had the beetle kill were taken Mm -hmm. so that changed the stand structure Mm -hmm. and as the stand structure changes then the forest is not as resilient right if you lose one cohort you don't know if that's the cohort that moves forward and there's a guy that works for SBI who his name's Mark West, and he's a very smart guy. And one of the, his quotes is, pines live in hell. And uh, <laughs> it's true. So you want and need your sugar pine and your ponderosa pine, especially down in those areas in the southern Sierras, because they're the ones that can handle this new climate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the incense cedar, the white fir, the stuff that came in and encroached um, as we were uh, getting a little bit wetter before we started to really go into another dry period. Um, that, those are the trees that are, um, going to not survive this sure. climate change. Sure. Yeah. Well, having a healthy ponderosa pine is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my, you know, the ponderosa for me is my favorite North American native species. I mean, growing up in the Rockies, the the scopulorum variety of ponderosa pine is like, you know, the king of the king of trees, as far as I'm concerned, like connects all the way back to my childhood. So I I was really concerned because it's my understanding the ponderosa pine has the largest distribution of any pine in North America. 
And to see, to see, you know, I think it's almost like a representative species. If you think about being a, a settler moving west back, you know, when, when North America was largely, uh, you know, unoccupied, that's the first big tree you're going to see as you approach oh. the Rocky Mountains. And it's opening the door to an expansive amount of opportunity and abundance in the West yeah. that yeah. we've abused, obviously. But there's a reason that, you know, people came here and saw opportunity and thought big. And to oh, me, yeah. the Ponderosa Pine was probably the living organism that started that mentality, you know, with that first big exposure. Oh, it's a beautiful tree that, you know, when it's plated in old, um, you know, it's just a gorgeous old growth tree. Yeah, uh, phenomenal. You, and and if you can get into old growth anything, right, you can really see the see the magnificent how magnificent the 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 species really is. You know, um, and you I'm see, a big fan too. And you yeah. see, and you see the the random acts of nature. You just see the impact. You know, to those old trees are the. I recognize this the more that I live around big leaf maple and the um, abundant amount of seeds that are shed on a continual basis and to see a really old, big, grand, big leaf maple is, is, yeah. is not very, that's not very common. And so, but you, it's, but you recognize like the anomaly, right? You recognize yeah. that's the one point zero 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 one percent of seedlings that get to that stage. And we get yeah. to sit here and witness it. And that's like uh, sort of, I think at the epicenter of trying to save it or preserve it or have the ability for it to exist on, right? It's like, that's a special it, thing to experience. It is. I, I found a tree like that for you guys yesterday. I was sitting underneath it when I was trying to get a hold of you. I found this <laughs> giant old oak, uh, black oak, and yeah. And no, so I'm I'm always looking for that, you know, really amazing specimen. Like, well, your eye is your eye is completely set up like that. Um, but I, I I'm very much like that too, you know. Um, I, if I'll, I'll see a spectacular red bud sometimes or, a, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always looking for that characteristics of those trees that are just unique, you know, because so many trees differentiate into just magnificent. Uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, and they're so different, every yeah. angle, every, yep. you know, everything about them, the character, they have individual character at a certain point, And I always look at them that way. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the Mariposa Grove, the Grizzly Giant, as far as like giant sequoias that exist right. in the Sierras, the grizzly giant is by far and away the biggest personality of all giant sequoias. I agree. One of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Epic, epic. Well, so I, 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 the other one that I really like that I'd have to say that I visit a lot is what they call the teepee tree, mm. or we call it Yoda. And that's at the above Circle Meadow in Giant Forest, another really cool, unique tree. But, you know, I mean, there's so many giants that have that kind of. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of different giant sequoias that just Andromeda. I can think of 20, 20 giant sequoias that I know that are mind boggling and they're each one different, man. I mean, the one that I was in just two days ago when I was working with Na- National Geographic uh, and I was uh, they were doing an interview with uh, Craig Welsh, who's their climate writer. Um, is the is the tree that had the photograph taken of it that had all the flames and the sparks running out of it. Mm-hmm. Pretty famous photo from last year's fire. Big giant sequoia just raining sparks. I've seen it. Well, I've seen rig- the image. Yeah, yeah. We rigged that tree. I was just up in it. Um, that tree's still alive and doing great. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What even was after it? The, even after having the entire crown blown out, talked about a tree with some character. No, I can't even imagine. So, you, did you get all the way up to the crown and get to see that uh, like firsthand? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Could send you some photos. Could send you a photo of what it looks like when you look into the burned out uh, top of the tree. Oh my gosh! So did it, it move? Just, it moved right up the core then, and just boom, right out the top. Or how did that no, happen? It was, it was just a crown fire. Oh, it was and, just a crown. And, yeah, and some firefighters got up in there and put it out. Jeez. Um, they did a lot of work in that grove to save that. Um, but that was just on the morning news. Unbelievable. If you can get a re- We'll see we, if we, we can find it. We'll see if we can find it for sure. But if you can yeah, send this, me the picture morning, of the burned out cr- crown, I would be super appreciative. They do. No, their drone footage was really excellent. And you'll see the Anthony and Wendy. You'll see the tree that we just rigged. I was just in that tree. I'm not in any of the, I'm not in, I'm just, I'm just there for support, but Anthony Ambrose, the 
guy, the head scientist for the Marmot Society, uh-huh. uh, takes one of the reporters up. God, what a and, dream! Uh, what a dream that they reporter. Did, well, they did, they did, she did great too. Cool. Um, if you can find that piece, I think it's NBC, ABC. It was on the morning. It was their Earth. But it was, was today. It was that. today. Yeah, yeah I, we'll I, check I was it out. involved in their Earth uh, Day shoot um, with the Marmots. We got uh, over there to help them rig and then we've had a little bit of a relationship with national geographic through craig yeah and uh it's been a a a good relationship um for us um i don't think we're getting enough attention as the marmot society for fundraising but uh it's all right telling the story how how uh how do you go about, I mean, like, this is a lot. You're doing a lot constantly. You're doing a whole, whole lot. Like, what does your life look like on a daily basis just trying to keep up? Because here's the, here's the difference. I cultivate miniature trees, and it, and it is a lot. You're trying to rehabilitate macro-sized landscapes. And I, th- I, this boggles my mind. I can't even fathom the scale and the effort that well, this takes. It's interesting. I mean, I appreciate you thinking about that um, because it's been on my mind too. It does have to do with capitalization. Um, I'm certainly not alone. There's some really great scientists and some great land managers working on this right now. Um, It's never been done. Yeah. You know, well, it hasn't been done probably since the WPA projects, you know, uh, when we really did try to do some weird stuff, you know. Sure. Um, Yeah. And this is not so weird, but it's the same scope. Uh, it, it's going to take a, it's a logistics problem. And so what I'm really trying to realize is I'm going back to my military career a little bit and I'm thinking about logistics a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so how's my life looking right now? Um, I'm pretty busy. Like I just got out of the, I got out of the hills and I've been asked to turn right back around and go back to Sequoia National Park. So, wow. I to collect probably, seed or just to observe or we'll do what? Uh, we're doing more. We're going right back into board camp. Um, this is a very stubborn group that's trying to get this, uh, which is good. Um, we're going to go back in there and reassess, um, try to find some more genetic material, make some decisions about where the genetic material can come from. I need to walk the planting site again uh-huh. uh, to get an idea of how to get the crews in and out of there. Um, we're going to need a little bit of helicopter support, things like that to drop seedlings. And then all of this has to get approved. So we just don't even know if somebody's going to say you can't do it. That's Jeez. what you were saying earlier. You know, how do you get through these projects? Um, we can get public kicking back on us and not even do it. Uh-huh. So tree planting is that weird right now. Uh, people will go, oh, we don't want you in there. Uh, natural regen. But they don't understand that the fires have been so hot that you're not going to get natural regen for, you know hundred years. You're not going to fill in, right? You can take a small hole and burn it out and it'll fill, it'll go to a meadow and fill in. But when you get to a hundred thousand acres, you just got a big hole in the earth and a great opportunity to do some carbon sequestration, but you're not doing it. So at first, when, when they, when these things first started happening, right, I, I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no one realized that the rate or the acceleration of deforestation through wildfire and the fact that the climate was going to cause these ecosystems to collapse. So I don't think anybody really thought that that, you know, the scientists may have been saying, yeah, this is going to happen, but nobody listens. Sure. And so now that it's happening and you can obviously see it happening. Yeah. It's a huge job, but if we were prepared for it, you know, like I say, broken record, I'm, I was preaching this 30 years ago to build the genetic libraries. Nobody listened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just, a, you know, just on my own for so long and I still feel like I don't really have the, you know, there at that point you've got to find somebody to capitalize it. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of money in the system right now for tree planting coming from the nonprofits, coming from the federal government, right. coming from private. Um, but it all needs to be applied um, to some very purposeful work. And right now, so I, Although it seems like I'm very busy, I'm I and I am the landscapes that I'm working on. Um, it just be Sequoia National Park, right? That's a big job. Uh, that windy fire, another big job. Um, Red Salmon Complex, which is up by Hoopa, and I and I run the Hoopa Sumeta Nursery. I'm a forestry consultant for the Hoopa Tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those are the three 
three biggies. Yeah. You know? yeah. How many, and, how uh, many trees are you growing? How many trees are you growing to, because you're growing, right, you're collecting right seed, now, you're growing. Okay. A couple million. Yeah. And how many people be, work at that? How many people does it take to grow a couple? 30. Million? 30 well, people. Well, not that many. You'd, you'd be surprised back when I, back when I started wandering around Stressing the timber companies. I'm getting stressed out, Steen. I'm so appreciative for what you're doing, and it's so exciting. But goodness gracious, not anything like what you do, brother. Uh, your work is so much more. You're a way of you, you know. No, don't. No I'm, comparison. You can. I have do a pair with, of tweezers. What, My tool is a tweezer, man. You know what I'm saying? You can do what I do with your hands tied behind your back. <laughs> nah, it's, you could. Your you really uh, could. your ability to manage at this scale is crazy. Thirty people, cool. a million trees. You have two growing operations in different climates where you're propagating different species of trees to yeah. create a, a, a adapted species to the kind of environments they're going to be planted in. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, I have really good people, so I'm pretty happy about that. Mm -hmm. I have good ma good managers, and, uh, you know, I like I, I think that the opportunity to to do more is has always been there. Wow. You know, I don't know. We just have a – if you – when I was a – when I was a kid and I was wandering around learning how to grow from the timber guys, I would notice that they'd just have one grower maintaining a facility that was, well, Glenn Lehar, who I learned almost everything from, he is the, one of the best conifer growers on the planet still. Um, he always worked for Green Diamond Simpson and he would run an operation that would have 8 million seedlings in it. And it's just him. Jeez. He what could it, turn the he so you so you have crews to sow right yeah, and you have crews to extract, but in between, you don't need anybody. Wow. It's just you and the, it's just you and the water system and the and your and your food right. Your yeah. however good your injection uh, food, you know, it's just one person can do it all. Jeez, yeah. I mean, you you don't have to even be that automated to do that. I run my rigs like old pickup trucks. I hate new stuff mm -hmm. so. I like a good old pickup truck. I don't want a new truck. Yeah, uh, I, agree. I find the old I find the old stuff works much better. I, my my big thing has always been, and I know you'll you'll agree with this. The hardest thing to teach any grower is how to water. Uh, it's the worst, not the worst, the most challenging. There you go. It there is. you go. The most challenging. Teaching, teaching, people, teaching people how to dry down root systems to get good trees is crazy because everybody just looks at the top. Uh -huh. Nobody understands roots. That's one of the things that I love about Anthony's work is it's all about roots. It's all about what's underneath there. Yeah. You know, the relay, where does the, and I was just with the, um, with, uh, Andrew Bishop, who's the head of reveg for Sequoia national park. And, uh, we were up looking at trees in Mariposa Grove and we were just talking about root systems, you know, where does the, where does the structural root end? where do the fines begin? Where does the mycorrhizae start in? Where's the soil? Yeah. Right. It's, there's no, you know, as scientists, we were always taught to differentiate, well, there's no differentiation anymore. Right. The modern scientist is an ecologist. Yeah. The modern scientist is looking at the whole thing and how it works symbiotically together. He's not differentiating anymore, right? That's a new that's new ground for us as scientists to be really good at not differentiating anymore. It demands, you know, it's interesting because it just demands so much of a fluency in the language of the ecosystem. And that's where when I, you know, you're you're sort of talking about three primary ecosystems that you're working on, you know, these challenging projects with. But it's like I would have to imagine there is a a cap to how many ecosystems at any one time you could work on and really dig deep enough to have I'm max. Yeah. I, I because you have to understand those symbiotic relationships and you're planning on the the relationships over time. Like that time factor to the project is also something that I think is very unique specifically inside of you know green anything, uh trees. That just takes so much longer to achieve maturity, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm pretty maxed out. I, I'm not taking on any any new work at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm there's no need. I I have I've picked up quite a bit of stuff and uh and I and I have the projects that I'm working on. Interesting. Um, and and so now you know and and a lot of it is very sequoia centric because that is my specialty. But um, but come come uh, uh you know if you want to come plant some trees, plant some sugar pine with me uh, and do hydra in September. 
Uh, you guys should come. Oh my gosh! Uh, do you have dates? Do you have dates? Oh uh, yeah. Okay. yeah, we'll put it on the calendar. Let's uh, let's, uh, let's uh, we'll talk afterwards because I would yeah. I I mean I would absolutely jump at the opportunity. That's so exciting. Uh, yeah, to get to fun. see what you're doing and just to spend some time with you out there, I would learn yeah. a ton. That's actually a pretty small project, and uh, it's a beautiful remote location. And I think we'd be able to you know plant a few thousand sugar pine and uh get a good look around gosh i i i'm uh, honored that you'd ask flattered that you'd ask me to come that's amazing um, i have another person who wants to come in on that and i think it'd be interesting you know i'm a bit of a i'm i've taken up a bit of tim's synergetic uh nature mm-hmm. and that bringing people together is probably the most purposeful thing i can do right now and uh craig welt um, who is the Nat Geo writer, climate writer. Yeah. Um, I'm inviting him along on that uh, planting as well. Outstanding. So kind of, it'd be more of a little pur- purposeful group, but um, I think like-minded individuals and some synergy. That's great. That's, um, a, that's insane. Yeah. We would jump, I would jump at the opportunity. I would do what I, what I could to make that happen. I'm going to send you a seedling from this ancient oak tree that we collected on there. Um, we, we did a collection of these really really cool oaks that are we found out what a crazy cultural site this place is it's got a real connection to the indios and the tribes that were there are not known but there's these mortars um and they're big um almost the size of a um gosh you know almost two foot in diameter and two feet deep bigger than a normal motor mortar mm-hmm. uh, and so we we're not sure what the gardeners were doing there um, but the, but the right next to the mortars is this ancient oak. Oh. And so we, we did a collection off of it wow. and, uh, we have the seedlings growing out in Sumeta cause I thought it would be best to grow them out there at our native nursery. And, uh, the, and I'll send you a couple of those. Please do. Please do. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds insane. It's a fantastic black oak tree that you'll, you'll dig. What, if you have an image of it, I'd love to see it too, but what's it I'll like, see. what's it like? working with um you know in terms of just the 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 maybe the time constraint the frustration you said sometimes even just the public can shut these projects down but working with the national park system which is a federal agency and working with the BLM uh you know what what it, I I imagine that's a skill set in itself to learn how these agencies operate in order to be able to do positive things with them it it is the skill set. I have one manager that I hired two years ago. That's that's basically all I've really trained him to do. Mm-hmm. He's been running the Sumeta Nursery. His name's Trent Johns, uh, but he's been running the Sumeta Nursery for us. But that's basically what I've trained him to do: is how to reach out and break down uh, or open doors with the public agencies. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, a really interesting um, reforestation model being built out in New Mexico by a professor's last name, Sloan. And uh, so the new, so New Mexico's reforestation model is interesting and they have a way of forcing open public lands with good neighbor agreements so that we can actually go on there and plant uh, for the public good. That's a new thing that we're trying to challenge uh, our land managers with. Um, but yeah, you have to be pretty good at, at, the problem with all of it is the, that the the generational change between land managers has not been that good. The continuity on jobs is not there unless you hold it there. A lot of times you'll get a a sea change, you know, a a manager will go somewhere and then a whole project will just fall apart because nobody knows what they have ever done before or again. Um, We're finding a lot of times, and this is not something I would be that proud of, but we're finding that a lot of times we have to, we have to show the land managers how to fill out the paperwork. Mm-hmm. They don't even know how to let us in to collect seed anymore. Yeah. They don't know the mechanism of giving us our permits or how they ever worked. Um, so yeah, it's tough. I, it, it, you just had a kind of a, an erosion of uh, that the old guard that worked in the forest and when the loggers were working. And so ever since option nine in California, since the early nineties, um, the land modern land manager, um just stop doing anything um they got afraid to make a mistake yeah Uh, and then so and 
And because they, the loggers, the loggers grew and planted trees. They still do. They're still the best at it. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame. Mm-hmm. We need to change that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay for them to be good at it on their private lands because we need wood products. Yeah. But on our public, on our public lands, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Did not did not have uh, crews that can collect seed and and plant trees. That's that's something I'm really working very hard to build that new model for. And so I have quite a bit of support with that from some of the land managers. And I'd say Christy Brigham, who's the head scientist at Sequoia National Park. If Sequoia National Park builds a new model, and uh, and I'll, I'll be a part of that, and it works, and uh, and it's cost effective, then I think we'll be able to roll it out onto these larger projects. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. It makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to start with something that has that kind of uh, power, clout, and priority. Yeah. You know, even the fact that the firefighters went in there, and and it took a lot of resources, and they risked a lot to save the giant sequoia. It seems like it's a species of tree that has connected to sort of the spirit and soul of, you know, American culture in a way that, that they are allocating recent, it makes total sense that that would be the pilot for, you know, this major, I would say groundbreaking manner in which land management is going to be altered for the positive. I mean, that's fantastic, yeah, I, Steen. That's really, it, really cool, man. Think, you know, yeah. So keep an eye on me with the windy fire, see how that goes, see mm-hmm. how I do, um, getting, support from the managers and getting out because they they really have to go hey yeah they just have to say do it mm-hmm. because at that point it becomes at that point i can use uh speed and i can use the fact that i'm a private entity to build speed the one thing that they can't do is move fast i can offer them that yeah um and and that's what i'm trying to do so uh it still is a major training problem because we got crews of four up to 40 people to build and I don't know where the hell they come from right now. Yeah. I mean, I've, my, I've got my crews and I've got some training going on out in Hoopa and at Sumeta, but, um, but these new jobs that I'm just about to enter, um, I'm looking at how to capitalize and build and train um, a workforce. So sounds like you have a critical mass of motivated people that are informed enough that you're, you're, you're sort of, you're reaching a tipping point. It almost sounds like to me. It does. It does look like it. Yeah. Yeah. And, And when you consider the fact that they might, the tipping point is also the fact that they might allow genetic information from outside of these areas to come in. Mm -hmm. That's a big, big move because at that point, it opens up the ability to then bring in white pine, blister rust resistant sugar pine. Uh, it does allow us to do um, some different stuff, some engineering backwards to black oak. Um, if they really will let us roll, we can use some of the, and and if it doesn't come down to going slow, like test plots and this and that, you know, if, yeah. they, if we have to go through all of that, well, it'll, we just don't have the time for that. Yep. Right? That's yep. the other thing, too, is, is this time sensitive now? Uh, well, it's beyond time sensitive now. So, like, how do you get back to just that windy fire and go out and find the genetic material that you need to plant it? Yep. Where does all the ponderosa pine seed come from? Yep. And then there's no guarantee that you have a crop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's why I love that's what you're saying though. That's you yeah, know, you heat shed or something happens you, like yeah, that. When are you gonna, yeah, when are you gonna get your next masting? You know, and those are the things that you were supposed to be prepared for 20 years ago, right? Yeah. So that your banks would be full. Yeah. CDF has no seed in California. Woo. It's yeah, none of the parks have any seed. This is the true story about your lands. There's no seed. No one did the collections. Now the fires are wiping out all the trees, and you're just you're going, wow. Shouldn't we have done something? Yeah, this is uh, a bummer. I think there's still an opportunity to roll out and do it, but once again, how how quickly we can move now is really the is really the big. I, I think you know, like uh, some some people uh, like what have I been quoting? Uh, unfortunately, I've been quoting o- Omar Bradley from World War II. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, no, a- am- amateurs amateurs study uh, a- amateurs. Um, amateurs think strategy professionals think logistics Mm. so yeah so the strategies the strategies are known everybody knows there's different strategies for cone collecting tree planting um but but the logistics right yeah it's a a nightmare and the fact that i mean i think it follows a lot of different industries where 
the the stratification, as you said, listen, no longer can you specialize. You have to look at the ecosystem as a whole and the symbiotic relationships. You're you're now an, an ecologist. Ecologists are the scientists, but it's yeah. also like as far as somebody that has the know how, the scientific know how, or understands the ecology. You now have to be business minded in order to be able to create the kind of workforce and the capacity to sustainably do this with the funding that's available or the potential that yes. exists. And so it's like, whoa, where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? I, I grew up in Mancus, Colorado. Aha. Did we talk about that? I didn't, I don't believe I knew you grew up in Colorado. I don't think you did. Yeah. Fe- for no, fellow, fellow Coloradans. Yeah. My people are longtime uh, Colorado up around Delta, Hotchkiss. Oh my gosh! I played basketball. Now, I was on the Western Slope. I was in Glenwood Springs. We we were we would play in Delta. Maybe Hotchkiss. we hooped, maybe we hooped against one another. It's possible. It's totally possible. God, the Uncompadre Plateau is one of my favorite places in the world. I think that's. Did you ever play Nor? Did you ever have to play Norwood? Uh, no, we were we were four A. So I don't know if we were oh, of the yeah. same size. Nah. Yeah, nah. we were the smallest, third smallest school in four A. So we would go to Denver and get our ass kicked all over the court. But you know, yeah. it is what it is. That's like me. That's like us going to Durango. Totally. Yeah. Or Junction, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Mancus. I love it. That's so good, Steen. Uh, yeah. I, 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 first of all, I would love the oak seedlings. Uh, so if you're, yeah. if you're so inclined, we would absolutely be super psyched to, to get to, you know, carry some of those forward. And then yeah. I, I'm all about September if it works, you know, like we will. Oh, yeah. Okay. That sounds fun. That's yeah, amazing. We, We've got the trees growing for those. They look good. So, oh, wow. We'll be back in there to do that. Man, I uh, oh, I appreciate you taking the time to sit with us today. I know you're a busy person. No. Um, and, no. and also, I just really appreciate what you're doing. I mean, uh, it, really powerful, important work. And I think um, I, I don't necessarily know that enough people understand how important the tree is as a backbone of, you know, what we consider nature. But like the, tr- the, the tree is the great yeah. connector in my mind. And um, the fact that you're working on such a macro scale is 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 humbling, super humbling to well, observe. I appreciate and, your, but your micro scale uh, approach is also super cool. So. You know, it's a conne- it's a connector too. You know, I mean, people can't digest uh, trying to reforest a hundred thousand acres. You know, but people can digest yeah. trying to take care of a of a tiny tree, and that can create that connection that at least raises awareness and creates an understanding and, of yeah, significance. I think, I think that's just as important as what I do because when I end up talking forestry a lot on these large lar- landscapes, they're not. Um, I also always have to remind people that urban forestry is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Urban forestry is extremely important. And so what you teach about how to care for a tree in the way that you do is, 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 is just as important because you can affect the landscape in somebody's yard. All the cities are losing canopy too. Street trees are really important right now. Mm -hmm. I have a two, I really do have a, what I think is just a, you know, it's not, it's the same approach. It's just that urban forestry is so different than landscape stuff. Yeah. Now, landscape stuff is not, is, is really like, like you're starting to see is, is logistics and, and just kind of like, wow, who's going to, who's going to gear up to do this. Yep. When you get a, but when you get a seedling to, uh, to a, to mom and dad or, a, or, you know, uh, and, and they've got, you know, junior in the backyard planting a tree, that tree's going to make it, man. Yeah. Cause that tree's well, or, or they're going to overlove it and uh, kill it. But you know, <laughs> we I, don't you focus know how, on that. We don't focus on that story though. We just no, focus we don't on tell it. That story. We yeah. don't tell how love kills. So that's exactly. terrible, <laughs> but it does. And as you know, as a tree grower too, right. That's the one thing, you know, that they got to watch out for. Yeah. So, so, but that, that is, something that you do and that's something that you you help people with right yeah. so no i think it's part that that's true ecology right that's all of us um right now uh we really do have to become we have to speak for the planet yeah 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 we, we're, the, we're the ones we're, we're the singing stones right we're the ones that have to talk uh and and tell the story so uh i think it's urban forestry is equally as important very, i love my cool. forestry. very cool yeah when we you know, just to sort of put a, a cherry on top of that, you know, the the whole opportunity to climb the redwood, been being down uh, south with Tim, and then meeting you on that, you know, fortuitous uh, crossing of paths. Um, 
you know, that that film that is behind all of that stuff, I think is, is talking urban forestry is one of the big discussions in that. And I, and it's going to be really interesting when that film comes out next year to yeah. see the impact that it has. Cause I think it's going to be a, a really well done, uh, That's uh good. piece of piece of critical thinking on, on trees as they yeah. uh, pertain to our lives, you know, and in, in a, yeah. at a real different perspective than they're currently discussed. So that's exciting. Yeah, I think it's good. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing that come out too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, when does that come out? Uh, I, you know, it's it's being edited right now, and uh, and that's all that they've told me. You know, I have no idea. Uh, but in I in the can, as they say. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 sort of I'm a, as aware as I need to be, and 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 I don't hear much more. But I've heard it's coming out next next year sometime. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good. Yeah. But I wish you all the best. Good luck with things. We'll stay in touch. And yeah. uh, and thanks Definitely. again for sitting down with us today, Steen. Rock and roll, man. Anytime you want to see me, love I'm it. around. I love it. I love it. You'll have Dick. to come up to Mirai at some point. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about that. That'd be great. I want to I send a kid up there to learn from you. I Perfect. need to send a kid to school. I love it. We do. We have a few. Uh, we have a few of those uh, students that are here for very specific and intentional reasons. We welcome. We welcome that opportunity. Yeah, so I'm let, let's talk, talk about, about it. That. That's great. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good rest of your cool. uh, Friday, man. And yeah. we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Peace, brothers. Right on, Steen. Thanks, Thanks Steen. man.